With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Good evening. Tonight I want to speak to you. Don't you listen to your radio? No, I'd like to talk to you tonight. I can listen to you talk all night. Welcome to the night. Mr. Bradley. Bradley, Jason, L. Next caller, you're on the air. While the others sleep. A little conversation. We will find you WBZ News Radio 1030. Our guest is Jan Crocker, who's an interactive media producer. Step right up to the microphone, sir. This is Jan's second time here with us on the Jay Talking program. How you doing? I'm doing well. It's good to be back with you. Now, Jan runs a well, a, it's more than a website. How do you describe it? It's a center for Boston. It's an online presence of Boston rock. Not only uh, the music, the videos, the interviews. Um, and and poster art. We'll get to that. But how do you describe your online presence? The uh, the website's called Kino DV Boston Flashpoint, and you can get to it at www.kinodv.net. Uh, that site is set up uh, is uh, is a content development for uh, music culture. Uh, the phenomenon happened between around 1978 to 1982, which was a real combustible time for the music scene in Boston. And that's why it's called Flashpoint. That's correct. Why the cutoff of 82? Because it's funny, I always wonder what the Flashpoint period was. And I, my mind says, funny, my mind says 83, 84, it's kind of done. I mean, that doesn't really, it's not really true. But I suppose you had to be arbitrary and decide. It was arbitrary. I really drove it by by my own personal decision of my my own personal involvement because I was pretty much filming a lot of the music, uh, and a lot of music venues uh, like the Rat and Cantones, right. a lot of the local Boston bands from '78 to '82. That was when I was filming, and that kind of is what sets you apart from everybody else because you were the first guy. To, yeah, get, it was to a little, have a video camera and go to shows. Yeah, it was a little unusual. Back, if you really understand the technology in its development, back in '78, '79, there was no no VHS cameras. Betamax cameras weren't even in, on the, on the market at that point. What did I, people use to record? Were they still using Super Eight? Well, people, some people would be using Super Eight, but there still wasn't a lot of that going on because that was that was actually a pretty good out of the pocket expense to be able to go there and shoot yep. Super Eight. I was fortunate enough to be uh, working at MIT at the time. And we were able to utilize all the hardware and technology there, and we would haul it into the clubs and to be able to record the bands. But uh, that was a big to-do thing, too, because uh, it wasn't just one camera. There were four or five cameras, and everything was switched live on location. So it was a big production. So not only did you have the first cameras, but you you were all in. You went you went right past Dude with the Camera to Dude with a Portable Studio uh, setup with the switcher and multi-camera angles and everything. 
That's pretty pretty great. Yeah, well, you know, it all kind of evolved out of a, a class that was being taught. It was a documentary performance class, and some of the kids went off to do uh, theater, dance, symphony, that sort of thing. Uh, I just decided to take the kids into the dungeons at night and have them record rock and roll, and that's kind of how we rolled with uh, what right. I was doing. So, And your experience takes it beyond uh, a hobby and beyond something you did back in the day. It For you, it is... You've, you're a curator now, much like David Bieber, uh, sure. who we've had on the show, is a curator of stuff, rock stuff. Yeah, you're kind of, of a curator stuff. of rock art. And, and by the way, David Bieber is going to be in Monday night to Tuesday morning again. And I'll tell you about that and who he is. You're, you're a curator of a, a feeling, almost. You're, it goes beyond the, the art. It goes beyond the music. It goes beyond the video. The sum of those creates this feeling, and you 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 curate that. Well, yeah, uh, I just decided to keep everything. Uh, you know, everything we shot was analog tape. You know, back in the seventies and eighties, it was helical tape, much kind of like a magnetic tape you would record audio with. Video wasn't that much different. Uh, around the year two thousand, I decided, well, I better digitize everything because otherwise we'll lose it all. And, you know, there were some bands that I shot in Boston that uh, had made some national uh, attention, like Human Sexual Response and La Peste. And I also filmed The Cure and The Buzzcocks when they came to town. I also got the, the first uh, the first videotape recording of The Police when it came to Boston when they played at The Rat in 1978. So I decided to keep all that stuff, and I figured before it all decayed and f- fell off the off the reels to get it digitized. And when so, did you start the digitization process? Uh, around 2000. I finished it up around 2002, 2003, but there's hundreds of hours of a stuff. A lot of work. There's a lot of stuff there, yeah. What method did you use to digitize? Um, well, it was uh, using Adobe Premiere. It yeah. was a piece of software, yeah. and it was basically a digitizing board that was in the computer. So and, Adobe software is editing software. Before you get it into Adobe, don't you have to convert it using something like... Yeah, Some well, you know, basically... Shady program? No, 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 not really. By, by that time, Handbrake. things were... They, they were pretty much on the level at that point. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, you needed to... The toughest part about it was getting the source hardware to be able to, to put your materials in. Because right, because your camera was, was gone. Well, the cameras were all gone. It was umatic tape or reel-to-reel. Mm-hmm. Uh, so you, had, so you I, needed a player. Well, you know, MIT was really good for disposing old technology, old analog stuff when it turned into digital, and I was there to grab a lot of stuff before it went into the dumpster. Wow, so, so that's I, fortunate. It was fortunate enough for me to be able to have some of those tools still sticking around. So basically, I just dropped everything into cassette players, ran it through a digitizing so you had and, It was video cassettes. Video cassettes, three quarter inch, you matter. And you went tape. out into the computer, basically into the computer and digitized it onto the hard drive. They make seven twenty by four eighty um, video files, which are very large, but they're broadcast quality. Mm-hmm. Something which you would normally see if it was on WBZ TV, for example, back in the day. That was seven twenty p. Seven twenty by four eighty yeah. is the image size for NTSC, which is the, was the broadcast signal back in those days. Huh. Now we're HD TV, which is totally different. Yeah. We have Stephen Hopedale, who's been on hold for a while. Hi, Steve. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Say hi to Jan. Hey, Jan. How's it going? What's up, Steve? How are you, man? Hey, I'm uh, curious. I'm a big, big fan of music. I'm also a musician. Uh, I was just wondering if you have any footage of Johnny A's The Streets. Johnny A is in Hidden Secret? Johnny A's Uh, Hidden Secret? Johnny Antonopoulos. Yeah. At Streets? At Streets? The name of his band was The Streets. 
No, I, I don't. Uh, the only thing that I, I filmed with, at Streets was Human Sexual Response back in 84. Yeah. Now, are you saying the name of his band was The Streets? It was called The Streets. Oh, it was yep. The Streets. I was, yeah, we were thinking you were talking about the, the venue. Club. Yeah. No, no, no. No, that was that was his band, the, Street, the Streets. I've been, I've, I've gone to a couple of Johnny's shows, and uh, he's uh, he's been a little bit tight-lipped about uh, you know his stuff. He keeps on giving me this uh, this run around that he's got a lot of his stuff locked up in the archives, and you know I've always said, well, you know, you should bring some of it out, but he's he doesn't he hasn't done it as of yet, you know, and uh, yeah, I was just wonder if you know I was hoping maybe he had some footage of him, I. I would absolutely love to go back to that day to see all that stuff. You got any footage of Johnny? Yeah, you know, I don't have any, have any of him, but, you know, it's difficult to be at two places at once when you were nowhere at all. There were a lot of gigs I could have filmed and a few, you know, few I re- regret I didn't get and a few bands yeah. I didn't was unable to sure, capture. But sure, yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah. Well, I certainly appreciate that. All right, Steve, thanks a lot. Thanks, Steve. So we'll get to the art, but I want <clears> to talk more about it's about the the, the time and the feeling of the time, and the way you capture it on your website. Sure. So I'm, I kind of want to go through the site and have you talk about it. First, you know, thing this... that pops up is Mark Flynn and Magnus Johnstone Gallery, the art of 80s. I guess we'll go to the poster art. and The art of the 80s Boston band and poster event. You just that just took place, right? Yeah, that's the that's the latest installation we have here, and it's it's broken down into a few different sections. There's an actual gallery of 150 uh, uh, flyers and posters from several different bands representing s- several different kinds of genres of art, everything from collage to illustrative work to kind of minimal apparent looks that uh, Mission of Burma was into. So, it's it's a really interesting. Uh, a collection of various styles. Uh, so there's a gallery. Uh, there are a number of interviews that we recorded with uh, with artists, artists, musicians, designers that make that talk about the art in the gallery and talk about their work and talk about the tools of the time and whatnot. So I guess that this would be the good time to talk about a few of the bands and the style of poster that they used, and sometimes. The style was through necessity. I guess let's start with Willie Alexander. He was so early that yeah, he was he he even, pre, even predates the 1978 for me here is the 78 82 window that I'm focused on here. He was doing stuff back in 75 76, but he was telling me that uh, when I talked with him and interviewed him that you know a lot of the work that he did uh, was all driven by you know what was available. Uh, you know they would take photographs, they just you know, cut out photographs, you know, put some real rough text on it, pen and ink, magic marker, tape, you know, the whole nine yards, make a quick poster. It kind of looked like a ransom note. It looked like a ransom note, exactly. Uh, if you go to his, he has a scrapbook on the website, Willie Local Scrapbook, at the, uh, the Boston Band and Event Posters section. You can see a lot of his work in there. You'll see how it does predate a lot of the stuff that came out later than him. But then the Xerox machine popped up on the scene in the middle of seven, late 70s, and that changed everything for it's kind the of bands. blows me away to think that, <clears throat> As of seventy eight or nine, there was no, 
The Xerox machine was a rarity, really. Well, we know they were they were prevalent in colleges and universities. Yes, yeah. uh, but the, the the chains like Copycat and uh, oh, they weren't Sir there Speed, yet. They weren't up and running at you know full blown. That's interesting. And a lot of people, you know, there's a fellow in here named Mark Thor who had the Mark Thor band is is in the gallery, and Mark used to run them off at night at MIT. So that you, so you had to find a be way in to college or know someone in college. You'd have to find a way to get it done, and it usually it meant like after hours. And even when the Xerox people started, the Sir Speedies and the Copycats start working, uh, musicians who many of them worked at these Xerox places would stay after hours, run off their posters, and so and there would be a mysterious, of, uh, yeah. mysterious uh, missing pile of missing blank paper. pile of blank paper. Where mm-hmm. did that go? And, then, and where they, where they went is they went on the walls. And and street signs of Kenmore Square, the financial district, because mm-hmm. this really was, when you think about it, the way that people communicated back in the late seventies and eighties to be able to to let other people know what was going on. There, there was no internet. There this was, was no as you mentioned earlier. This was in the internet. This was the eight. What Peter Dayton from Lepest coined it as what he considers this poster art the eighties internet. This is what the internet was for for that time. It was, it was kind of the drum beat. It was it, it was basically it. You know, you would see it, you would so and so, so and so would call somebody else. A, a chain would be built like a like a web would be and the information would be disseminated that way. But it all started with this poster art and these flyers. Also, it predates um graffiti. It was kind of the graffiti of the time, too, in a way. It was. If, if you wanted to get your message out visually in an image, you, this is how you did it before graffiti and before, then before the internet. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, and a, lot of, a lot of people, some of the earlier bands were very kind of very straightforward with just, just content information. Yeah. Playing at The Rat. 10 o'clock on a Friday night with so-and-so, and you'd see something very primitive. That was just the basic message. Other people started getting a little bit more elaborate with the details and started making collages, illustrative work, nicely designed artistic stuff with pen and ink, and it started to become more of an elaborate kind of uh, presentation. So the art kind of combined with the information, and you really had these very nicely detailed posters, right. uh, which you'll find several of these in this gallery, which, uh, I mean, if you look at them, it's, it's, it's really a, quite an outstanding collection of work for people that were, you know, a lot of these people that were musicians too were art students. Right, that's right. They were going mass, to Mass College Art. College of Art, Mass Art, Jeff and Jane Jeff and Jane. Students, students. Rule. That's right. They, 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 they were teaching kids how to make art. They got involved in music. So there was this whole kind of cross-cultural thing going on in those days. Hashtag Jeff and Jane. If anyone knows them, call them and tell them we're talking about them. <laughs> Have them call in, by the way. Uh, while we're talking about Jeff and Jane, we're... With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. 
The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Popping around a little, and I, I guess that's there's no other way to go. For me, you know, we... Some people were very super familiar with all the bands, knew everybody in all the bands, not me. I was most familiar with Jeff and Jane and the four-song World Trade EP. Yes. Which was musically, to me, really a big deal. When I started at ZBC at Boston College, playing that was, was a staple for me. And then I remember they had a new... New song coming out. I got to go over their house, and they lived on Newbury Street. There was a reel-to-reel in a little box, a tape. And for me to get to go to their house was a huge deal. Sure. And uh, then I got to know them more, and, and uh, actually I was in Jeff and Jane Hudson as a rhythm guitar player when they did a, a guitar incarnation of some of the songs, and like Los Alamos. And now they're out in still very active artistically. Both Jeff and Jane, I, as I understand, in Western Mass, correct? Yeah, they're out there. They're uh, they're dealing in art out there in Western Massachusetts in the in the, in the, in the, in the Williams College. If you're interested, there's a Jeff and Jane video on this front page of the website. It's a new video they just put out called "The Middle," and it's really awesome video. The 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 work in the video end of it is fantastic, and the music is fabulous. Right, it's because they're they're mass art people, and Jane was. They were both visual, but I think Jane was more into the video, correct? Uh, they both were very much into, okay. into that aspect, but yeah. And just as, a, it would be crazy not to tell this story. You probably don't know. Don't mean to point. That's good. There was a, you know, there were artists, performance art thing, and there was Sushi Bar, which sure. was a performance thing they did. Then my job was, uh, there were, Jeff did music. We had two female bouncers just <laughs> who stood there just looking tough. <laughs> And there was video, and then there we I made sushi on the stage during yeah. this and the, handed it out, and then I did some spoken word monologue, and it was weird. Yeah, a performance type thing. The strange thing yeah. is, though, uh, if you're in a band, you don't make any money. You're, yeah. you're making like, I don't know, 25 bucks. Yeah, you're making art is what you're doing. Yeah, but for some reason, that, we got to play colleges and actually made... A few bucks. We didn't do many gigs, but we I can't. We had an agent, Lou Salamone, who actually did a good job. Okay, enough about Jeff and Jane. Uh, we see, um, we've talked about Willie Alexander, and I'm hoping maybe you, I haven't thought to reach out to have him on, but I really should. Maybe you can help facilitate that. Yeah, you know, Willie was really interesting. Uh, we went up. He lives in Gloucester, mm-hmm. and uh, he was nice enough to let me come in and, uh, and interview him. He some some interviews with him on my website. But his his just going to his house is an experience like this. Walking walking into a living museum. Yeah, I mean, he every part of the second and third floor of his house is covered with an image. There's not a bare piece of wall or ceiling in the place. Is it? Did you videotape that? His house? I interviewed him in one of the rooms in the house. Yes, Did, so you can was, see some of it on the background? You can see a little bit in the background. Okay. Uh, it's just really, he, he, he was quite, quite the collector of materials and made 
made it a point of getting everything up on his. All right, we're going to go through some more of the art from the different bands that you have heard of and describe uh, maybe how the the art reflects who the band was. Unnatural Acts, uh, they were controversial. They knew that. They wanted to be. Talk about, you want me to talk about it? Unnatural Acts, A-X-E, March 29, April 1. You know, I wish they would have put the year on that because nobody's thinking that far <laughs> None ahead. None of these have the years on yeah. them. At the Rat, and this is a picture of a Nazi soldier with a Nazi uniform reaching out to shake your hand. Yeah. And that was, I'm um, guessing, controversial at the time. Yeah, it was. Um, there was uh, the artist who did this was uh, what's her name here? Um, I don't have. It's it, okay. It, uh, they were controversial. Uh, however, you know, I think they were, the thing about uh, the, the using the German art in Nazi stormtroopers was a low take. Their idea was to kind of shock you to get to get your attention right. when you walk by. And a lot of people would do that. I mean, it's like showing a picture of Charles Manson, for example. Right. doesn't necessarily mean which appreciate what he does, a, but it, which was it, done it, a lot. It was done a lot. It catches your eye. Right. Uh, and this was kind of what their approach was, and the whole idea of uh, uh, Shuri Howard, who did the post this poster there for is, the Unnatural yeah. Act down the right hand corner. She designed for a lot of different bands and, and this one you know if you look at it she took the, the cutout of the German soldier but laid it over uh, a red bat and black background a splatter and, red a splatter, splatter. And, and kind of created more of an artistic poster than really a controversial kind of uh, you know um, uh, icon here and uh, but it, it's it was Richie Parsons says who's the head of the, the band this is his favorite poster and this and one that, right that, here yeah and that's that's one illustrative style and they're Every every band kind of had a different style, which kind of reflected, I would say, that almost the style of their music. Okay. If you you know if you go to the website and you look at the gallery, uh, it's broken up by band. And if you look at the human sexual response material that was designed by Dini Lamont, uh, his stuff was all done with a collage style, and really kind of the imagery and the, the combination of the imagery and the look really kind of reflected how the style of the band was. When you saw that band play on stage, there were eight people in the band. It was very active. It was a lot of activity. It was complicated. It was complicated. And the art is and, complicated. And the art is somewhat complicated. I would say not complicated. I would say sophisticated. Sophisticated. Is a better word. The images are uh, not primitive. No, they're not. They're sharper uh, when they want them to be sharper. Right. And they're... I don't know how you would describe it. It's whatever the opposite of primitive would be, more sophisticated, yeah. as you say. Well, what's interesting about about this, the human sexual response stuff, is most of the stuff in this collection in the gallery is, is color Xerox. And that yep. was a kind of second generation of uh, the, the tools of the trade at the time, went from black and white and evolved into color. But these things were, were you know, would cost you $3.50 a copy. That's a lot. So there was still a lot of backroom printing going on in after hours to get some of this stuff. You can see the, 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 cotton, the cotton paste but, on uh, you know, Dini's work, you know, something which is nice to point out about Dini Lamont's work is if you look at some of the stylistic approaches and look at some of the things he did, well, they were complicated and sophisticated enough that you probably have some trouble making these things happen with Photoshop today. Right. And he was doing it by hand. Right. And so this that's particular kind of one shows, for example, it's, it's kind of like Dolly a little bit. It shows a watch that you can see through, a razor blade, and a woman looking through. Uh, you know, glass bricks, what things look like when you look through a glass brick. It's like a glass Kind filter. of textured or a uh, shower, sliding uh, shower door. Human sexual response and moving parts. Yeah. You can kind of date these uh, by who they play with, correct? Mm -hmm. I mean, just, and, and the club it's at, you do your best to uh, try to 
decide what year it was, right? Right. BFVF, Boston Film Video Foundation, 39 Brighton Ave, Alston. But special film, which is another thing. There Some of these go. bands had films. Yeah, Larry, uh, Larry Bango, who also wrote the feature article on the uh, poster, this is an article from him. He was one of the head, head guys in Human Search Response. He wrote a very nice article, which really tells about the landscape of what was going on at the time, why they were making the posters, and where the, tool, the tools of the trade were and whatnot. Larry was a filmmaker as well, so he, you know, they were making reference to his film Cinderella that's probably being played at Boston Film and Video Foundation. Mm-hmm. And Boston Film and Video Foundation was a pretty interesting place because not only did it do a lot of film and video, but also was a performance arts location, and there was lots of music going on in that space during the time. There were lots of bands that played there in the evenings and on weekends, which is, so that was unusual to be able to go there as a venue as well. So we have got, we have covered unnatural acts. Uh, by the way, I want to make a. Uh, an observation about the Unnatural Acts poster, which is, it includes the the Nazi soldier. And it is reminiscent of heroic art. It's, it's kind of a splatter modern version of the heroic kind of World War II art. Join the, join the army. Where were you in World War II? Because they had at the MFA a, a huge collection yeah. of that kind of thing. Yeah. Strong. Met strong, scary men with iron fists and broad shoulders and square jaws. It reminds me of that style of art. Yeah, a lot of the military, uh, in, like the Soviet Union and, and the Koreans uh, and uh, the Chinese were very big in the propaganda art. And uh, that is kind of uh, taken from uh, an image probably from one of those posters. But then you have different illustrative styles like you're looking at the Mark Thor one now. Yeah, new entire style. Lou Miami in the cosmetics, Mark Thor and it's, well you are better at describing this than me. It's black and white and scary and dark. Yeah, this was um, these posters that Mark Thor's band did uh, uh, his, his, he did more pen and ink illustrations and more, more drawing style, more illustrative style. But he's got kind of real urban nighttime landscapes. It got this real kind of foreboding kind of look. Fast cars with women, tall buildings, lots of moonlight, lots of dark, lots of financial district kind of looking imagery. Um, it, maybe you can help. Maybe Mark can help. Sure. What's the movie? Mickey Rourke, very dark, almost animated sometimes. Uh, can't remember. All right. Yeah, I'm at a loss. That one goes by me, but okay. But but that style is kind of very distinct from, say, the collage style because it's very heavily illustrative. Sin yeah, City, Sin City, that's boom! Yeah. It reminds me of Sin yeah. City. Good job. <clears throat> you know, it's black and white and Sin City e. Then you go back to. Um, by the way, that was at the club, a place called the club. Yeah, that was over in Cambridge. Whereabouts? See, this is before my uh, time. Between Kendall and Central Square, across from Polaroid and the Neko Factory area. Okay. Up in that general neighborhood. Did that become something else later? It had a number of different names after the club. It finally sort of went belly up in the late 80s. Okay. I think what it is now is a pizzeria of some sort. Okay. Uh, and there was also The Space, which had a similar type of name. The Space. Yeah. Which is where I saw Lou Miami. When I first got to town... I didn't know what was going on, and that was what was going on. <laughs> and maybe human sex response there, I can't remember for sure. You know, the thing that's kind of interesting when you think about those times and these times now 
this, a lot of people will tend to appreciate music and they get a lot of their material and their content off the off the internet. Yep. Uh, they don't really go out a lot because there's not a lot of the venues, much like they had back in the 80s. But back in the 80s, it, would, it was not unusual to go right to the financial district, which had three or four of these clubs with two or three bands playing. You could see up to nine bands a night. For yeah. probably at probably six or seven dollars, if you wanted to be, you know, pedestrian from one club to another, because yeah. they were all within walking distance and cheap. So, can you give an estimate, just a ballpark of how many clubs, the level of space, the club, Cantones, Mavericks, et cetera, there might be to choose from? Probably thirty. There were probably about a more of a handful of about a half a dozen that were really, really. Actively popular. Well, of course, it was the Rat in Kenmore Square. I bet you there's more. Go ahead. Rat. Right. It was the Rat, Cantones, Jumping Jack Flash, Space, Jumping Jack Flash, Mavericks. Yep. Uh, the Club in Cambridge. Uh, did you say Cantones? Uh, I did get to get Cantones. So see, there's only a Bun Ratties. We'll we'll throw Bun Ratties into that collection. The Underground. Sure. Yeah. Streets. Yeah. yeah, the Underground and Streets. All right. Those came a little later. Right. Right. But yeah, so but but now you look around town and they don't there's really where do you go? I mean they're not these small clubs that play for for bands to my knowledge. I have to be really careful because I don't want to be that old guy that just says yeah, right. there's no place to go. No, 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 no. It's because they're kind of Well, I don't know. I there's great Scott, happily. Right. That's still active. Now and we, that's still that's big as that's now be my official that is now my official afternoon PBR place to go. Yeah. Before the band gets there, maybe when they're setting up, that's and there's no one there. I spend my four bucks. I have my tall my tall beer, and I love it. Yeah. Is there any place else? So there's a Brighton Music Hall, but that's a. It doesn't have a real. It's a. It has good sound, but it's a box. It yeah. doesn't have a lot of vibe. There's still, um, from my understanding, my son plays in a band in Washington D.C. Mm-hmm. called uh, Walk the Plank. They do pretty good. He's coming up to Boston this summer to play, and there is a collective, I believe, out of Alston that does a lot of uh, kind of hardcore punk band music, and they play in like the Knights of Columbus and play in halls yep. around Boston. So there's still a lot of that action going on. So they, and also there was the house. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Joe Circuit. People playing yeah. in people's houses. There would be students, maybe four or five. Each, everybody's got their own room. And then downstairs, they have uh, they set up this, some monitors, and people swing by on this weird underground house tour circuit. Is that still active? I hope it is. I would think so. I mean, I think things tend to evolve and go in different directions depending on the style of the music. But uh, it's it's since the, the the typical venues like we've been talking about no longer exist, alternatives like that pop up. You know, people are doing stuff uh, either out of their living rooms or out of their basements. Uh, you know, renting complexes, uh, renting lofts. And of course, lofts were a big thing in the '80s as well. Right, and for people who want really. They want to find new and underground things. There is a publication called Boston Hassle. Boston Hassle, covering, uncovering New England underground. Upcoming events, music, about, film. There's a Hassle telethon. 
and that you know, there you go. There you go. Stop whining about nothing going on. Yeah. I, actually, I'm going to post this on the J Talk and Facebook page. Post the the uh, link there. It it talks about, um, well, it's stuff coming up, music, and you you can still film. You, you can still really find out what's going on if you like. Vanya Land is a good uh, website that's on that kind of replaced what the Phoenix was doing when the Phoenix no longer existed. Mike right. Marotta went over there and started that. Uh, publication up on the net which is a great content thing for music it's called vanya land you should check it out uh they have listings in there for where local music's being played a lot of good content about music and uh it's kind of a which which almost kind of like a a, the next generation of electronic publishing for what the phoenix was it's it's very it's it's got some great coverage and there's there's something good about there not being much of a scene and that is if you if you still want to you can dig around and find it and when you do then it truly, truly, truly is underground yeah. when you get there. It's not like semi-underground. Remember how things got to be like, well, it's underground, but it's on FNX. Yeah. You know, it's not, it was on BCN. It's not like that. This is like underground. Yeah. Okay. We do have Mike who's been on hold. I'm going to ask Mike a question. Mike, do you want to have a very, very short time with the both of us or wait till and have a longer time with me? Oh, I'd love to wait. Oh, actually, I have a quick question for your guest, Bradley. Yep. Um, I, I've been videotaping bands since like 2004, since I got my first mini DV camera. I, I wanted to ask your guest, is the atmosphere today different when you walk into a club to tape a show? Like, like for example, my thing is I walk into a club like, I don't know, like I'm with the band. I don't even ask. I don't ask the club. I don't ask the artist. I set up my monopod or a tripod if I got room, and I start taping. Somebody asks me to stop. I'm very respectful, and I stop taping. Um, what is your, what is your, um, how do you feel the climate, has the climate changed today? I'm guessing back in the day, nobody even thought of, well, uh, you know, in, you, intellectual property. When, I don't know. when you would, when, the way you go about it now, I mean, uh, it, because of the technologies you have access to, it's easier to go in and do the type of things that I was doing years ago. Yeah. When, when I was filming, I'd have, I went in with five cameras and a switcher. We switched wow. everything live. We had, you know, two ambient mics with a line feed and a, a remote mixer going yeah. into into a deck. So it was a fairly complicated setup. It was usually about 10 people that had to do it. Two ambient mics and a remote mixer, so you're not taking anything from the board? We would take the board and mix it in, in with that as well. Okay. So, you know, it was a fairly sophisticated thing, but we had I a bunch see. of sophisticated kids there for at MIT that yeah. were all doing it. But, 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 yeah, but I would think really it's still the same thing. You know, you've got... You got the band, you got the crowd, you got the logistics, you got yeah. the people you have to get clearance with. The whole, all those yeah. things still exist, I'm sure. Yeah. Uh, but but every, now when you go in, it's so easy to walk into a club with your cell phone or with right. your with your camera or whatever any device and be able to record. And if you look around, you're not going to find you're the only person doing it. Yeah. You're going to find another <laughs> right. ten people doing it, right? Exactly. I just. Uh, you know, I, I, it's one of my passions. I just love taping singing songwriters that come to town, small clubs. What do you use for a camera? Uh, right now, I'm on. I'm doing 4K, Bradley. I I, uh, I moved up. <laughs> yeah, but what are you using for a camera? Uh, it's a uh, Sony AX100. Yes, I know that. Yeah. Look, uh, 4K. Yeah. God, it it really it taxes your uh, computer when you're editing it, it and and yeah. rendering it and. Uh, does it, is 4K really worth it? For me, because I was doing 4K and I was getting filled up fast, and it was really making my machine labor. I said, then I went back to 1080P and said, you know what? 
Nobody's going to be watching this on a giant screen. They're going to be watching it probably on a computer, on a laptop screen or their phone. I don't edit, though. I keep it all on cards, and I watch it on my 4K TV. <laughs> you don't edit? No. I why not? I keep it all on cards. Well, it's just for myself. I mean, I, Yes, I but why not edit for yourself? <laughs> uh, I suppose. <laughs> and know what I hear? I hear you saying you don't want to do it because you don't think you can. And I'm telling uh, you, you can, uh, and it will be highly rewarded if you learn how to do it. I hear you, Bradley. There are a couple of great uh, programs. I hate to be plugging Apple, but it's the one I know. This right. Final Cut, which has been dumbed down. Oh, I don't mean to say dumbed down, but it's been simplified. So it's very easy to learn. They'll teach you how to use it. Bang, bang, bang. Um, there's Adobe, depending on what you got for equipment. Bradley, uh, how, how valuable is what they call M-Disc nowadays? It's supposed to be really good archival type of uh, DVDs. Do you know anything about that? M-Discs? Yeah. I, I don't use any discs. I use a file. And I have it triple backed up. Yeah. Just buy another, buy a solid state hard drive. Yeah. 500 okay. gig, solid state hard drive to start. But the important thing is to keep doing what you're doing because you'll probably find yourself in the same position that I am 20, yes. 30 years from now. In 30 you, years, you're going to look like you, a genius. You'll have an archive of stuff that nobody <laughs> else there was doing it but you, and you got it, man. So keep Good doing it. Good for you, it. Mike. Good for you. And Thanks. if your camera breaks or anything, the iPhones are getting better, believe it or not. <laughs> <laughs> they the the they the stabilization's really good. They don't shoot so great in the dark, but you know. Hey, was that night stage, by the way, in Cambridge? Did it become night stage? It did become night stage. Ah, exactly. that's what I was wondering. Exactly. Yep, it became yeah. night stage. The club. Okay. Thanks so much, guys. Okay. Mike, thank right, you. Mike, thank you, Mike. Okay. We don't have much time. Do you, can you stay like an extra fifteen minutes? Whatever you like. Okay. Because I want to go through the website. Absolutely. Okay. Google, if you want to all read along here and you have a computer at home, Google Kino DV. If you don't, just enjoy listening. And know that you can do this K-I-N-O, which is means movie or film in at least German. I don't know what else, right? It's Russian. Russian, okay. So if you go to Kino DV, Boston Flashpoint, and that's key. Boston Flashpoint means it's an explosion of arts and music between in this 78 to 82. Any idea why this was the time, why it happened then? It really had a lot to do with the fact that I was really doing most of my filming at that period of time. But why was the music well, so uh, it just, explosive then? It just happened to be one of these very special, magical periods of time. In Boston. There was a lot of things going on. It wasn't just a lot of music. There was a lot of performance art like you had brought, you'd brought to the attention of the audience earlier. There was a lot of music. There was a lot of theater. There was a lot of dance. There was a lot of creative arts that were going on during that period of time. And a lot of these musicians were involved in a lot of different aspects of this cultural kind yep. of explosion that happened. You know, the music itself was, was really quite quite. Interesting because there were a lot of bands that really did quite well for themselves. Yeah, uh, Cars came out of that out of that pool of talent, for example. Yes, uh, you know uh, Willie Alexander was doing it forever. Uh, La Peste had a big push on during that period of time, and Human Sexual Response had a very good successful run. Okay, we talk a lot about this music, but maybe you'd like to hear it or see it. So at KinoDV.net, if you go to the website. Uh, I'm going to have uh, Jan give you a quick tour. Then I'm going to focus myself down on the archive videos. Give us a quick tour of what you can see there. Yeah, in the archive, uh, we call it the video archive portal. It's broken down into two sections. There's like uh, uh, bands that we shot in Boston. It's called Boston Live, and it's got several different uh, bands in there. Mission of Burma, the Nervous Theaters, 
human sexual response, uh, unnatural acts that we discussed, pastiche, the Peter Dayton band. Robin Lane, the Charpusters is in there. Uh, some other bands that we filmed that were national acts like The Cure that came through in 1980, Robert Smith's 21st birthday, His the video is there from that show, The Neighborhoods, The Police, which I shot at The Rat, Thrills, Unnatural Acts we mentioned, uh, Ground Zero, another performance band, uh, The Buzzcocks, which was another kind of British band that came through. Uh, we've got that there. So it's got a, a lot of different bands with a lot of different styles of music, and it's all live performance, shot live, and archived here. And you, if you go to one of these bands and click on them, you're likely to find several cuts. I think there must be seven or eight cuts from human sexual response alone. Okay. i tell you what. First we'll go with Sid in Boston. Sid, Hello. Oh, good morning, Bradley. Can you speak up a little bit, Sid? Yes, good morning, Bradley. There you go. Jan, how are you? What's going oh, on, thanks. Sid? Uh, Jan, you might remember me as Mickey Finney. Sure, Mickey. How are you, man? I'm still alive. That's you, good. You'd never, you'd never know it. But, of course, back in the day, it was a lot of fun. I think the key is we were younger then. That's 40 years ago. The key to what? To why things were so exciting and everything was fresh and new. Oh, I don't. I don't know if I buy that. Yeah. Well, Mickey. Mickey was. You. You did a lot of great photography work back in those days. Uh, you. You were part of that collective of people out there doing stuff like yourself and Phil and Flash. And was you? Were you a Nisop guy, Sid? No, I, I went to Mass Art, and actually, the way a lot of us first heard about this up and coming thing called punk rock was Roger Tripp worked at the cafeteria at Mass Art, and he had flyers, and he told us about this groundbreaking event at the Knights of Columbus. So we all went over with our cameras, and that was, for a lot of us, the start of punk rock. And then you mentioned Mark Flynn. Of course, he was part of, I was somewhat part of the punk data scene. Sure. Let's go back. Roger Tripp, did you say? Drummer yeah. for La Peste. Okay. And what yes. was the event? Tell us about this first event that's so important. It was at Knights of Columbus. Yeah. Now, I, I want to back up and say I never really... I've said this before. I've never really, I, I never really understood the music. It was more of a visual thing to me. I, I would go to the Rat just to photograph to see what Rita Rat was wearing, and okay, and, just, and, and I was more of a, I was a, a, a I was. A, it was more about the scene. texture of the time. Exactly, but I was also um, a multi personality. I'd be other nights doing the disco scene. I had two different names: uh, City Limits and Mickey Finney. Yeah, your, I, uh, your disco photographer name was City Limits? Uh, yeah, Sid Limits was what I go Sid by. Limits. <laughs> Not <Huh>? bad. <laughs> yeah, Just I, when I you think all the good names are gone. I have a, a presence on Facebook uh, under Sid Limits. I have, you know. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm on the internet and, and all that. But uh, and I, Jan, I, you did a nice job with, with my slides and Film Flash, and the, that infamous Five All Night. Phil and I, oh, each time yeah. you bring up a name, I have to... Make sure everybody knows who it is, or it won't be interesting to them. Yes. Phil and Flash, an, a, a photographer, one of the yeah. I don't know f four or five rock photographers of the time, yeah, well, was well, everywhere all the time. Yeah, Mickey was out there with Phil, and uh, Mike Greco was out there shooting stuff. Uh, Kathy Chapman, Kathy Chapman. Uh, yeah. there were, there oh, were, don't there forget were, uh, B.C. Kagan. Yeah, B.C. Kagan was out there doing stuff. And uh, I ran into her in New York. She moved to New York, and yeah. she's still. Still yeah. plugging away. All right. Thanks a lot. Together. We got to go. It's WBZ News Radio 1030. So let's take a look at the uh, website and the main front page. Got to find it here. Okay. You have this 
right up the collection of the Art of Boston bands that you, we spoke of and you can see. There's a video. The Neighborhoods Go to Prison. Tell me about that. Yeah, that's an interesting uh, film. It's a 16-millimeter film that was shot by a fellow named Mo Shore. Mo used to be a disc jockey at the Cambridge radio station years ago. I forget the one that was on Mass Ave. Do you know the Cambridge radio station, Mass yeah, Ave? It was one on Mass Ave. He no. Was, he had a show called Show More, More Radio or something to that yeah. effect. Mo uh, went and got a degree at MIT. Uh, Took a crew into the Norfolk State Prison to film the neighborhoods. I guess also the Vinnie Band played that same day. So they went into the confine. Uh, we had to go through. I was actually working on the crew. That was quite an experience to go talk about security checks. You know, yep. going in there with uh, musical instruments and film equipment. It took us a good hour and a half to get through all the walls to get right. into the interior of the auditorium. And uh, Mo shot a live performance of the neighborhoods. Uh, doing a whole set for the prisoners, and the prisoners, you know, were going crazy. Of course you know, they were. You being incarcerated, you don't have much going on all day long. You suddenly got a live performance, and, yeah. this, and, yeah. and half of these guys never seen punk rock music right. before, and there it is right live. It's a good chance stage. for them to get some energy out. They, would, they were pogoing around out there, and the guys were getting a little excited. Okay. This Jeff and Jane video, Jeff and Jane Hudson, The Middle. We spoke about them early. Mass, uh, museum school or Mass Art? Uh, they, were, they were the museum oh, school. Okay. Yeah. And both visual and right. um, audio artists, and still active. They and are. There's a video. Fact, Tell me this, about this, this video. This video is, is, was just shot last year by uh, Louis Arire, who used to do all the Cars videos yep. in the 80s. Louis shot this uh, with uh, Jeff and Jane, gave him the soundtrack. He loved the, sound, loved the music, decided to create this video. And that's on this page as well. I put it there because, because of Jeff and Jane's involvement back in that period of time. And also it illustrates the kind of longevity of what they've been doing. Yeah, and their, their journey. And you take a look at this video, and it's about as fresh as it could possibly be. Yep, and for the record, Jeff has an entire new CD. I can't, what's it called? Super Fresh or something like Super that? Super Fresh, I think. Super Fresh. Called, yeah. Okay. See. And then you have uh, Mission of Burma, Devotion at the Underground. Right. We've got a, this is a lot of the context of the of the site uh, uh, launched from it last year was involved around the underground. So there's a lot of stories about the underground. People who play there, interviews with people who uh, were involved in the club, people's impressions and conversations with people who had ideas and opinions about what it was like to play there, mm -hmm. what type of music was, was, was going on there. The underground was a little bit different than some of the other clubs. Like the Rat had kind of a real rock edge to it. Yep. Um, you know, Space had kind of an arty side to it. But the underground was really a different kind of venue. Uh, it, it was, to me, it reminded it's like your basement with brown paneling. It was like it was a basement. It was literally in a basement of an old B property that's now up there. Uh, it's the corner of, of Commonwealth Avenue, Brighton Avenue, near the it's Kidney pa Place, Packard Square, I think. It's, yeah, uh, Packard's Corner, Packard's Corner. That's right. right. So it still exists. The club doesn't exist anymore, but not a lot of people know that uh, Jim Kaufman, who ran the club, brought in a number of bands. Uh, he brought in uh, the Cure. He brought in um, uh, orchestral maneuvers in the dark. Which is insane, because uh, it's the in, world's smallest place. It is. And he brought in New Order. They were supposed to come in as... Uh, uh, Under some pseudonym? Uh, well, they were supposed to come in when... when well, Ian Curtis, when he played in the band, when, uh, yeah, but he committed but he suicide. Died. He died. Yeah. And they changed into... Uh, into no, he, they were Joy Division. He died. They became New Order. Joy Division became New Order. New Order played at the underground. Okay. A lot with a number of uh, New York bands and a lot of international bands like The Cure uh, that played there on uh, Robert Smith's 21st birthday. So yeah, I want to talk a little bit about that. Oedipus, 
who many of you know and you've heard about for a long time, who was the program director at Rock Station WBZ, also was a DJ at what was TBS and then MBR over at MIT. And he, as much as anybody, was responsible for, he was a beacon. Uh, he was sort of a, a light bulb that the moth of rock was, was attracted to. And he, one thing, he brought that kind of stuff to the mainstream, to the people. But he didn't just, it didn't come to him. He went out and he found it. He would go to England and he would ferret around in the music, in the, in the record bins at the source and bring it back and blow everybody away. And people know him, I guess this is an homage to Oedipus. People know him for WBCN. He was my boss for 28 years and a darn good one. Uh, he was the king of what he did. But almost more impressive to me is the fact that on this <clears throat> website, you can see that same Oedipus with the purple hair and the Elton John glasses, kind of, talking to Alan Vega. That, to me, is where the credibility comes from. And also, it really adds a lot of cred to your your efforts to have that thing there. That is a... Pr- premier event for me right there yeah it's in this this particular piece of video is kind of interesting because it ties a lot of things we were talking about together here yeah uh this was a uh a uh, it's a boston architectural center it was a an art show put on by the uh the punk Dada people with mark flynn who was the organizer of the gallery whose some of his work is in the poster gallery uh oedipus was there doing the demi moan uh, which is live, his radio which show was his radio show and he had Alan on, and Alan came on and interviewed with Oedipus, and I was filming the interview. And they were talking about what it was like for Alan Vager and his bandmates to go and play uh, with The Clash. They were opening up for The Clash touring around in Europe. And Oedipus was, was grilling them for information, and Alan was great. Alan was telling great stories about he had, they play in front of the punks and the skinheads to open up for The Clash. Right, the Clash is a punk band. Yeah. Alan Vega is... They, if you get technical, is a punk artist, but a techno kind of electro punk, electro punk, yeah. And these skinheads would have nothing of it. They'd have nothing to that. So they they, they got roughed up all the time. They'd get beat up, get beat up, and, but 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 you know something, he loved it. He would say to Olympus, that was part of what was. Well, going that on is what time. punk is. If you go, if you look at videos of uh, the Sex Pistols, <clears throat> the way you uh, appreciated them was to spit on them. Yeah. There was, there was, the punk has always had an edgy side to it, yeah. let's face it. And, uh, well, so there you go. What else is up there? Bob Marley and the Whalers, Harvard Stadium. Yeah, this is an interesting piece of, of work. It was shot uh, during the uh, uh, the Amandala Festival for the unity of the benefit uh, for the relief of humanitarian aid to Southern Africa. This took place in 1979 at Harvard Stadium. And it's Bob Marley and the Whalers. It's a three-color camera shoot. That's fabulous. The whole piece from front to back runs about an hour long, but there's two or three pieces on here uh, at this particular uh, concert that's, that's great. It's great coverage, really professionally well shot, and Bob Marley really uh, at his peak of his performance in 1979. Other things on that you can, you can check out, The Cure at the Underground, we really haven't talked about that. The Cure uh, were brand, brand well, they were 21 years, Robert Smith is 21 years old. This is at the underground we were talking about. It's like your basement with brown with brown paneling and either no stage or maybe a six-inch riser. I don't remember. But it was, if you were in the front row, you could reach out and touch them. And your camera was 18 inches away from 
Robert Smith's of the Cure's face. This is if you're into the Cure, this is magical footage. He's unrecognizably young, but you can tell the magic is already there. And for you to be so close, uh, for a Cure fan, any post-punk fan, this is a must-see. This is the song, quote, Killing an Arab, end quote. And it was controversial, and it was, of course, uh, a related to the book, the Camus book, I'm, guess, I'm yes, guessing. Yes, I believe so. Now, there's, if you go to the, the live Boston section in the, in the archive portal, there's, a, there's several clips from that show. There's a forest fire in Cairo, grinding halt, killing an Arab, play for today, secrets, 17 seconds, subway song, accuracy, and three imaginary boys. So you, visit, you have that all on videotape? It's all, those, all those clips are on, that, on the website to be okay. able to see. New Order is there. You want to talk about that a little bit? Sure. New Order is one of those bands I did not film. Uh, and I, you know, and I, I decided I wouldn't go to film then because Ian Curtis was no longer with the band, and you know sometimes you make mistakes, and that's I'm right. Sometimes you're like, ah, I'm not going out. <laughs> that, was a, that was a mistake on my part because New Water put on quite a, quite a show that night and really took off in a different direction. And I wish I had been there to do that, but you can't get them all. No, one of the the bands you hear so much about Mission to Burma, you have them pretty well documented here. Talk about Mission to Burma. They were. A pillar of the time. I didn't see him much, but everybody else did. Yeah, well, you know, Mission of Burma was, uh, they were really a different band. I mean, they, they would, would, it was hard to characterize them. You couldn't they were call also them an art, an art band, school band. But they, but they were really, fought, they, had, they took a different path as far as what their style of music was. It wasn't punk. It wasn't uh, pop. It was, uh, it had its own style, its own edge to it. And they did very well for themselves, made, made, made their mark, and disappeared for a while, and then resurfaced about a decade ago and revitalized their, their career with music and brought a whole younger crowd in right. to follow them and have done quite well for themselves for a number of years. And the, uh, one of the members, was it Roger? Had, had tinnitus? And, yeah, he, and, he developed that problem. Um, loud music can yeah. do that to your ears. Yeah. Uh, uh, Clint Connolly, who was the bass player for uh, Mission to Burma, many people don't know this, but Clint's an accomplished uh, TV producer with Chronicle. I did not know that. Yeah. And a, a spinoff of that band was Bird Songs of the Mesozoic. Which yes. which members were in that? With- I know Roger was, of course. Uh, Roger Miller was. Uh, uh, drawing a blank on the okay, rest that's of the members. All right. But you were right about the band. That was an offshoot. Okay. And... Listen, there's there are interviews that are interesting. I think that's a big, big part of this website. This is a, and I'm I'm sticking with this for another four minutes because it's a chance for you to see, hear, practically touch and feel a lot of the stuff that people only talk about. This get, brings it. This makes it kind of real for you. You've heard you you hear people talk about back in the day. Well, this is this makes it real for you. Tom Lane was a I was a DJ with Tom Lane at WLYN before it became FNX. He was, he's a thinking guy, a good guy, lives out in Vegas now. He was a DJ at 
WMBR at MIT. What does he tell us on this uh, in this interview? Uh, uh, he's telling he answers a number of questions that we have posted up there about the underground, uh, what some of the bands were that played there, what was going on uh, with the type of music that played at the underground, which was a little more different than mainstream music. Uh, we, we asked him a number of different things about different uh, about people uh, and styles. We asked him about his, his work with Spit and what was different between going off the Spit or going to the underground. Which would you choose? Of course, Tom would choose say Spit. The under, he would say he would, Spit because he was the DJ because there. Because he was the DJ there. But he, was very, he made it very clear that there was you know, a, a kind of a diverse crowd that went to one place yeah. and another crowd would go to this place. And yeah. there were different, you know, the rat would have its own type of crowd yeah. and spit would have its own, the underground would have its and own. And the paradise. Stuff. By the and way, we didn't paradise. talk about the paradise. Paradise was another venue. We did miss that. I was always jealous in, in a nice way of, of Tom because he was a DJ at spit. And that's that was the great thing to be because people would come from far and wide, including me. I would hitchhike from New Hampshire to go there. And to see him deciding what to play was a big deal. And then later on, to be in the booth with him and hanging out was even cooler. Yeah. Yeah, no, uh, Spit had his, his, uh, ran his course, had his... his, uh it's good, good, good uh, niche in, in uh, there for people. Want we're into the, into the dance club scene because because when you talk about bands like New Order that came out of Joy Division, that's the kind of direction a lot of that right. music started going in. And Spit picked up on that, uh, developed a whole kind of collective uh, interest of, of a dance crowd. Tom made a, made a but when da- when you say dance, you're still talking about kind of rock dance. Yeah, you're talking like about, a Manchester. I would say, yeah, uh, you were talking twenty four hour New party Order people. Type thing. Yeah. yeah, that type of thing. Uh, you know, uh, the B-52s would be considered to be dance-type music in there in those days. And B- B-52s was cutting edge in 1979. It was. It like was. Planet yeah. Claire. Planet Claire was great. Absolutely. And uh, things that are goofy now, like what I like about you was a staple at Spit. And now that kind of seems goofy. It does seem like a goofy <laughs> thing these days. But, but you know, no, no matter how things change, they remain the same. I mean, uh, the music still today is as fresh as it ever was. It, repl- it replicates a lot of sounds, bands you hear today sound yep. somewhat similar to bands you heard back in the 80s. And there is a thread between then and now. And I think what this website does is touches a lot on that. It shows you that, you know, there's been changes, but these were kind of some of the pioneers yep. that set the stage for a lot of things that are happening today. There, there's almost more good music than there was. It's just a, a different place. And folks, if we've excited you about music, it's not dead at all. It's not just a diff- you just have to look for it in a different place. And if you were like I was and like Jan was and like Oedipus was, you will find a way to get it. Don't complain. Find it. You should be glad that it's hard to find because when you do find it, it'll be all that much more precious and special yeah. to you. You need to get up off the couch and get out and get into it. Yeah. You go. You, just go see a – I a say this out. Go see a random band <laughs> – at Great Scott, have a beer and stand up close to the stage with your old guy earplugs like I do. <laughs> Thank you very much, KinoDV.net. That's K-I-N-O-D-V.net. Or just Google KinoDV. That's right. Thank Th- you for having me, Bradley. I really appreciate Thanks it. Thanks for your, you know, all your efforts, all that you've done. It's a huge deal. It means a well, lot to a good, lot of people. It's good to be able to share all this stuff with everybody, and that's really what it's all about. Appreciate it. It's WBZ. Hey, guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun, too. It's a thing, and now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun, Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino-style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere, 
and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.